Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is Monday, the nineteenth of December, twenty twenty-two. I don't know about you, but it is cold where I am. <clears throat> I know, cold is relative, right? But it's cold. It's um, mm-hmm. it's cold. Okay. Today's- Defi- define cold here. Define. <laughs> I had to put a hat. I had to put a hat on this okay. morning. Uh, gloves, socks. Uh huh. The whole nine yards. Yeah. In other words, it's just another it's- day in Minnesota. But you're not in Minnesota. <laughs> I know, and my blood is thin. It's it's a it's a problem. Yeah, no, I I get it, Paul. I, that's why I said it's it's relative, but it's, it's going to be like five where I live this week, and five is not much where I live. I realize that five would be like, you know, I don't know. But the thing warmy, is, that'll be your morning warm... low temperature, right? That'll be your morning mm. low. No, I don't know. There's some day this week where we start at some respectable temperature, like forty, and by the end of the day, it's going to be five. Oh no, like, that's yeah. for it's, Nashville. That's that's. It's going to rain, huh? and, that, oh. and that four. It's going to like rain when it's forty, and then it's going to be five degrees. Which I got to tell you, this is that sounds like a paralyzing forecast. Okay, okay, where I, 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 I retract my sarcasm <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh, here's the good news. Your growing your faith verse of the day comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 48. I love this response of Mary, and I want us to consider um, being this responsive and responding in this way when the Lord um, tells us he's got a plan that includes us. So listen to Mary's response. Remember, she's been having this conversation with the angel Gabriel. He has told her that um, God has... um, that she's found favor in God's sight and that God has this plan to use her to bring the Savior into the world and that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her, um, that what would be conceived in her would be holy, and that she is to name her son Jesus because he will save um, his people from their sins. And Mary asks how it's going to happen, and they have this conversation. And then she says this, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So how do you and I respond to God when he invites us into his redemptive plans? That's my question this morning. How, how do you respond to God when he says, hey, I got a plan. I'm working out my plan uh, over the course of all of um, human history. And I'm inviting you into that today. I'm inviting you to be an agent of my grace, a vessel of my Holy Spirit, an ambassador of my kingdom. How do we respond to God when he invites us into his redemptive plan? Mary responded with an honest question, you know, how's this going to be? But an open heart, a willing spirit, a statement of submission, and then um, a glorification of God. She has an understanding of just how significant a role she is going to play. Um, And we do call Mary blessed. She is the mother of Jesus. 
So uh, you're you're likely going to at some point sing in this season, Mary, did you know? Uh, the reality is, yeah, Mary knew because the angel told her. The angel told Mary everything she needed to know. And the Mary gave all of her and Mary gave all of herself to God. Um, or she gave all of herself that she understood to all of God's plan that she understood. And so, yeah, Mary knew. She trusted God with it all. Can you do that today? Will you do that today? Trust God with all of it? I mean, there's no question that God is worthy of our trust. The question is, do we trust him? Do we trust him? With Mary, do we say, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I see and understand just how blessed I am, and I stand in the knowledge of the goodness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Bless God. I am blessed. Can you say that today? Do you see and receive the blessing of God in Jesus Christ today? Perfect submission, perfect delight. Souls glorifying the Lord, spirit rejoicing in God, our Savior. So we are um, in the waning days of, uh, of this year, and we are giving our attention to concerns of the day and concerns of the heart and concerns of our families. And so Jess Johnson and Amy Weatherly have a new book, um, and it's really directed toward our girls, and it is about friendship. And we do have copies to give away, but our text line is malfunctioning this morning. And so if, as you listen to this conversation, you say to yourself, um, I, I, would like, uh, I would like to enter the drawing for the copy of the books that they're giving away today, you're going to go to myfaithradio.com slash book. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. They are back again. Um, the last time we were talking about showing up and wearing sweatpants. Today, we're going to talk about making friendship bracelets. The book is I'll Be There, Amy Weatherly and Jess Johnston. Welcome back, ladies. Thank hey, you. thanks for having us. It is really fun. So this um, this book is a follow-on to your first book, and this one is I'll Be There and Let's Make Friendship Bracelets, really um, targeted toward girls who are 8 to 12 years old. So just... um. You know, Amy, maybe give us the vision for this particular book. The vision for this particular book is that girls would read it and maybe learn some things early on so that they don't struggle with friendship the same way we have. So that at the age of 30, 40, 50, they're not unlearning bad habits and and just untruths so that they know from the very beginning, they have this really solid foundation for what their relationship with themselves should kind of be and what their relationship with their friends should be. All right. So the first book was I'll Be There and I'll Be Wearing Sweatpants. And it's really about the friendship that God forged between the two of you um, after meeting on the internet and then becoming, you know, friends in real life. We talked last time about the friendships of women. And so if you're listening right now and and you're a woman and you're desiring to be in a well-connected um, friendship relationship and you just like some 
um, encouragement on that, you're going to want to look for the first book, I'll Be There, But I'll Be Wearing Sweatpants. If you have um, a girl in this age range or about to be in this age range, 8 to 12, then we want to talk specifically to you today. This book is I'll Be There and Let's Make Friendship Bracelets. And we are giving away copies today. So if you want to enter the drawing, um, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Just throughout this book, um, you guys have sections for daughters to share with their parents. This is, I think, designed to be very, very interactive. Let's talk about the importance of parents having real conversations um, with their girls and and sharing our own experiences of, you know, maybe what life was like when we were tweens or in middle school. Yeah, I think it's super important. The book is very interactive. There's quizzes, there's really fun stuff, and there's an area where they can journal and share it with their adult. I just think it's so important, even even for my own journey, finding friendship and really struggling with it in adulthood, one of the biggest things that freed me up was realizing, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who struggles. I'm not the only one who gets lonely. I'm not the only one who feels awkward making new friendships. That was really something that set me free. And I just want to give that gift to our kids too. So just being open and creating space for them to realize, hey, my my parents have also struggled and um, it's not just me. Yeah, that is so good. I appreciate how um, you guys address, you know, so I just think some of the most normal challenges that maybe we faced as girls, um, but certainly that girls face. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the girl that's that's sitting alone at lunch. I, I actually didn't mm-hmm. know. So in third grade, this will be a little Carmen confession here. In third grade, Miss Chestnut let me sit in the classroom during lunch. Like I apparently mm-hmm. like went and got my lunch and came back to the classroom and I sat and it was just just me in the classroom with Miss Chestnut. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and however it was that my mom like framed that, I thought it was a privilege. Mm-hmm. I now right. know Aww. that they were protecting me from some like awful experience that I was having um, in the lunchroom yeah. that I now don't remember. Like, I don't remember what it was that wow, resulted in amazing. me having to sit like, but, but however it was that my mom reframed that, like, I thought it was a privilege that I got to sit in the classroom with Miss Chestnut during lunch. So talk a little bit Aww. about some ways to support our daughters when they are feeling lonely. I think just opening up, I try and share with my daughters just like moments of my childhood similar to that. Like, you know, I went through a season where I moved to a new school and I was very lonely and had no idea how to talk to people. So I would hide in the bathroom during lunch because I just felt so awkward and lonely and uncomfortable. So I've just shared stories like that with them in hopes that when they're facing those struggles themselves, that they know that I'm a safe place and I'm not going to be shocked oh my gosh, you're lonely. I'm shocked. Um, but that, that I can relate to that too. And also, um, we, we really, this book, the adult book and this book is also just really about, about empowering our daughters, um, that you have the tools that you don't just have to wait for someone to come and offer friendship to you. Friendship is a gift and you actually have the power to give that friendship away. So if you don't feel like you belong at that certain table where everybody's sitting, maybe look for another outsider. Look for someone else who seems lonely and go make conversation with them. Yeah, I love that. I love the reach out equipping um, that you do in here. 
We're talking with Amy Weatherly and Jess Johnston. We're talking about their brand new book, I'll Be There and Let's Make Friendship Bracelets. This is a girl's guide to making and keeping real-life friendships. Uh, And, yep, we're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Rejoining our conversation now about I'll Be There and Let's Make Friendship Bracelets, a girl's guide to making and keeping real-life friendships, co-authored by Amy Weatherly and Jess Johnston, who are friends in real life. We want to talk a little bit about the online community that uh, that y'all have developed as well and invite people into it. Can can one of you remind us about Sister I'm With You um, and the online community? Yeah, um, when Amy and I first met, we really connected over just both of us have a passion for friendship. Both of us have struggled with friendship, but both of us also realize how how important it is um, to have solid friendships in our lives. Um, so early on in our friendship, um, Amy just brought it up and was like, hey, I think we should create a space for women to talk about friendship in a real and authentic way. And it was just kind of birthed in that moment. I was like, I'm all in. She's like, let's, let's call it sister. I'm with you. And let's talk about all the things that people aren't talking about. Let's talk about the real struggles with friendship and let's talk about what we can do about it. Um, so that community just really exploded overnight. Um, it has over a million women on our page and it's called sister. I'm with you. We're especially on Facebook and we just talk about everything. Friendship. I love that. It's so, it's so fantastic. So um, when you're in middle school or late elementary, early, you know, early middle school, <clears throat> this whole BFF thing, like, right, um, everybody mm-hmm. is my BFF or wants to be my BFF. And for those of you not familiar with that lingo, that is best friends forever. Um, we all know that you can't be everyone's best friend and that everyone doesn't necessarily have a best friend in the same way. And we're certainly not all best friends. Can you talk a little bit about how we communicate with our girls about these like levels or varieties in terms of the depth of friendship? This one can, I feel like, get very complicated because mm-hmm. you can be best friends with everybody. You also don't want to exclude anybody. So I think that's where it gets very messy. Is messy the right word? Yeah. Messy, complicated, like a cat <laughs> playing with a ball of string, right? I mean, yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, because how do I, how do I not, because if the thing is, even as adults, if you try to be best with everyone, you will spread yourself so thin that you have no depth with anyone. And depth is the goal of friendship. That's where you feel comfortable. That's where you feel known. That's where you feel loved and, and your truest self is when there's depth there. And um, so I think it's just a hard thing. You just tell your friend, your daughters that they can definitely have people that 
have friends that they like hanging out with the most. They can have people who they um, really feel their best selves around. But to make sure that no matter what, that when they're uh, in a group setting, in a public setting, that they're looking around and making sure that others are included and that others feel welcomed. Um, Because even though you may have a closest friend, that doesn't have to be your only friend. You can have you can have multiple friends. You can notice people. You can see people. You can smile people. Um, but that really to save their hearts and their secrets for the people that they do really trust the most, and for the people that they do feel closest to. That's so good. And That's so good. Earned, have earned that trust. You know, you can. Um, it's okay to save your secrets for the ones who have earned your trust and and protected your heart. I love that. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, talk to the mom right now who thinks it's possible that her girl is becoming the mean girl. Oh my gosh, that's hard. Um, but I think it's, we really need to have those conversations with our daughters and we really need to um, address that openly and compassionately and talk about those things because, um, yeah, that's just a hard situation to be in, but it's really important that we address it. Yeah. And so for folks who are listening who like don't know what's going on out there in, you know, in junior high land, um, there are mean girls like mean girls are a real thing. And there's some sort of like attraction to being not only a mean girl, but being in a group of mean girls. And so we Mm -hmm. as Christians, um, you know, and as moms, we want to we want to be able to identify that when it's developing and we want to be able to talk to our girls about not becoming that kind of person certainly not leading that um, pack of mean girls in the school and those kinds of things and there's some equipping for that in um in here as well again the book is i'll be there uh, and let's make friendship bracelets a girl's guide to making and keeping real life friendships um i think No, go right ahead. Who is that? Is that no? Wait a second. Is that Lou or Brewster? That is that is Lou. Hello, Lou. Lou, can you say hi? Um, I think when you notice that your daughter is being a mean girl, first off, I would like to say, good job on noticing it. Yeah, good job on noticing Mm. it. That's a big deal. That is a big deal that you notice it and you aren't just letting it slide. That's Mm -hmm. huge. And I think just conversations, conversations are everything. You don't blame your daughter. You don't shame her. I think you just have conversations with her and the conversations can go something like, how do you think this made them feel? How would you feel if this was done for done to you and kind of remind them that where you jump into the pool, that's fine. But other people get splashed and the way we splash them really matters and does have ripple effects. So we've got to think about that. So I think you just have lots of conversations with them, force them to think about the other person's point of view. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have me, um, you have me thinking about, you know, my friends in middle school and my experiences and then, you know, the friends that I developed later in high school and then the ones, you know, I developed after that in college. And I think that when we're in the midst of it, we imagine this is the person that's going to be my friend for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, this Mm -hmm. is the best friendship I'm ever going to experience. And the mistakes that I make are, you know, earth shattering. And um, we make a lot of mistakes along the way. I mean, we still make mistakes now in our friendships. Yeah. Um, Talk with us. Talk with us a little bit about 
this this kind of like resilience that needs to be developed among um you know among girls and even among women right when we do make mistakes um sometimes we make the wrong friend sometimes we have to you know like sever a relationship with a person that's not healthy T- talk a little bit about that about resilience in relationships yeah that's really hard i mean it's hard for me as an adult still to be totally honest just that um I think, first of all, when we make mistakes, like walking through friendship with humility is a really big deal. Mm. Being um, able to address our own flaws. I think there's a there's a big thing in our culture right now that's like uh, that we can't be wrong. We can't be right. We need to be right uh, in every situation. And that's just and I think it's a self-protection thing. Like if I can figure out how I was how I was right in this scenario, then I can feel good about it but it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to make mistakes. We're all, we're all imperfect and we're just doing our best. And I think if we can just take that expectation out of the picture of being perfect, that would help us all with how we relate to our friends, like the expectations we have on our friends and also the expectations on ourselves. Cause especially as we get closer and closer in friendship, you're going to make more and more mistakes. Your flaws are going to leak out. <laughs> People are going to see your flaws when you get when you get close in relationship. And then as far as um, losing friendships and having to move away from friendships, I think it's really important to, to take moments and assess our friendships and be, and just looking at them from an honest perspective and being like, okay, is this friendship life-giving or has it run its course? Is this friendship um, healthy is this person somebody that I'm supposed to be conti- that I need to continue to invest in and asking things like, am I the only one who's pursu- pursuing this friendship or is there, are they pursuing me back? And then being really intentional about where we invest our time because we only have so much time to give. And sometimes in different seasons, it's different people. And it's not even always like, we're done with that friendship, but maybe we're not investing as heavily in that friendship in the season, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes total sense. I mean, that, I mean, it, some of this just depends where, like, where you physically live as you get older and you're just like, yes, I, absolutely. I can't, it's really hard for me to maintain a friend, a friendship with somebody who, you know, we used to live down the street and now we live, you know, 45 minutes apart. And somehow right. that's like, it does it like you have to really work on a friendship and, um, yeah, or halfway across the country um, as well. Yeah. So this is so fun. You guys, um, it's such a blessing to reconnect with you. I love what you're doing at Sister I Am With You. I want to really encourage listeners to check out the online community, Sister I Am With You. Um, Facebook's a great place to do that. The book we're talking about today, I'll Be There and Let's Make Friendship Bracelets, a girl's guide to making and keeping real life friendships, really um, targeted for girls ages 8 to 12 and maybe to be read um, with their mom. Um, you can do it on your own if you are um, an, you know, a girl who's 8 to 12 and you just want to read it um, on your own and work through it. That's great. If you want to do it with your mama, I think that's even better. We'd love to give you a copy. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Amy and Jess, thank you um, so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. It's such a joy. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Tell it on the mountain. Oh.
All right, again, our um, text line is down. And so if you want to enter the drawing for the copies of Jess and Amy's book, I'll Be There and Let's Make Friendship Bracelets, you need to go to MyFaithRadio.com slash book. MyFaithRadio.com slash book. I know, more complicated than normal, but, you know, you can take that extra step this morning. I believe you can do it. You can do it. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. And, um, yeah, a technology prayer would be much appreciated for our friends who uh, provide a text line for us. Maybe, uh, you know, God could just superintend that. I know I know, God's got a lot to do, but, but you know, it, it's not too much to ask of him that he um, would do something for you today um, or something for the ministry. So there you go. Um, there's lots of great stuff going on at MyFaithRadio.com. If you haven't visited lately, check it out. And while you're there myfaithradio.com slash book to enter the drawing for the copies we're giving away of um, of this, this, this very sweet book. I'll be there and let's make friendship bracelets, a girl's guide to making and keeping real life friendships. We're going to talk with Daniel Bennett next. Um, we're going to survey some things at the intersection of political life and the Christian faith. Let me start with this. Who's actually attending church? Did you attend a worship service yesterday in an organized church at, at, did you go to church? I mean, like we are the church. I recognize that. But did you also go to church? Are you actually attending church? There's a growing class divide in America between those who are going to church and those who are not. And strangely, your educational level and your socioeconomic level may be as great a determining factor, or at least a factor in telling us whether or not you went to church as well, listening to Christian radio. Mm-hmm. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. Dr. Daniel Bennett is back with us this morning. He tweets at Daniel R. Ben with two N's because it's for Bennett. Daniel, welcome back. Good morning. Hey, Carmen. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Um, okay, so uh, I could ask the question this way of every person who I encounter. Hey, did you actually attend church this weekend? And their um, their answers would tell me a lot about them, not just whether or not they attended a local church, but they might that their answer might be an indicator of a few other things. What are we learning from um, Daniel Cox? Yeah, so if you if if your listeners aren't familiar with him, he's a pollster and researcher with the American Enterprise Institute, and he has a Substack called American Storylines, and he had a great recent piece uh, on church attendance. And social scientists have been studying church attendance for quite some time to measure the uh, decline of institutional religion and changes to American society and culture. But one thing I really liked about this recent piece is uh, Cox looks at not just how are now how is church attendance declining, but who is not going to church as much? And what he identifies is a pretty stark class divide, uh, particularly educational divide. And so, from you know, just looking at this chart here, for in 1998, um, roughly uh, 65 uh, or rather 67 percent of non-college educated Americans attended religious services, just just about the same as college educated. 22 years later, 
there was a major gap. Almost fifty-five uh, percent of college-educated Americans attended, and about forty-five percent of non-college-educated Americans attended. So a ten percent gap in about twenty-two years. And then Cox spends the rest of the article trying to explain why that might be. Um, and what are some observations that he makes in terms of the why that might be? So the one th- one of the main reasons that he talks about is uh, this decline of social capital, particularly in lower socioeconomic classes. So he starts this uh, Substack piece with a reference to Robert Putnam, the author of the famous Bowling Alone and the documenting social capital decline in the United States. And frankly, for people on the lower end of the socioeconomic status, and this is often correlated with educational attainment, there just aren't as many spaces to uh, bring people together uh, for, for economic reasons. Maybe people who, have, uh, who don't have college degrees, they, their work schedule is a little bit stranger, and so they have to work on Sundays or they work long hours during the week and they just don't want to go to church on Sunday. The other uh, example he gave was more interpersonal at the family level. Um, this idea that college-educated Americans perhaps are more likely to value religious participation and pass that on to their kids. Because, you know, when you, go to, when you go to church, you often bring your children with you and you instill that, and that becomes a generational thing in your family. Um, for non-educated Americans, perhaps it's just maybe just isn't a priority, given everything else that might be going on. All right, now I will offer a completely unverifiable um, suspicion. Let's do it. I suspect that um, there are a higher percentage of children who are being raised by single parents um, in the non-college educated uh, populace in America than there are by the college educated populace in America and churches do a pretty poor job across the board um, focusing on and tending to the needs of single parents. And I got to tell you, if they don't focus on you, you don't feel wanted. And if you don't feel wanted, why would you go? Oh, yeah. I mean, and there, there is a section here in the essay that, that gets at this a little bit. Um, there is a marriage gap as well in this. So uh, for, you know, married people tend to be more religiously active. Uh, if you're a single parent, like you suggested, Carmen, uh, this could be that it's not that married, you know, not or a single parents are just apparently less religious. Um, right. But I think it's a question of ministry. Uh, yep. So this is something the church can do to certainly look in the mirror a little bit and say, well, what types of program, even if it's not intentional, right? It might not be animus. It's probably not animus. But what do we do to serve? you know, these, these communities. And I'll just tell a quick anecdote. You're so kind. I know. Yeah. But you're, but you're so kind when you say it's not animus. Um, that may be, well, no, I, well, you and I can hope it's not animus, but I know some single moms and I, and I know how hard it is for them to feel not just welcomed, but genuinely folded in to the life of the church. And so, um, we're, I mean, there is an, there is a ministry opportunity. And I think that for those of us who are in, who are in the church, who do actively participate, this is a, I think that we should look at this and we should say who is not in church and why, and if it is a ministry barrier, then let's take it down. Yeah. 
no, I, I think this this optimism maybe comes from personal experience. My parents divorced when I was very young. I was raised by a single mom, and she uh, made it a priority to attend a local church. And it was a fairly big church, so it gets at this question of resources as well. There were resources there uh, to maybe minister to, to single parents more than more than the average, uh, maybe the average size church. But I, I have memories of people coming to our home and, you know, the church kind of mobilizing and painting the exterior of our house and, uh, you know, having a lot of opportunities for groups and, uh, you know, investments in the, the lives of, of single people, including single parents and a lot of child or opportunities for children's ministries that, you know, it sounds silly, but she can be in church and we can be in children's church. And she has that little bit of a, a recharge uh, mm-hmm. in, in the service. So I think I, I, I think it's partially biased because of my own experience, but especially, uh, you know, in smaller congregations or in areas of the country, even maybe this is a geographic question, right? Where, where this is maybe more of an issue, but you're right. This, and as a social scientist, this is fascinating. I'd love to look into this more or maybe have someone else with uh, more time to do this. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, first of all, I think it's fascinating. It's really good. Um, let me just remind everybody that, uh, the, the link to, the article that we're talking about, and then through the article to the research itself. Um, All of that is going to be linked in the notes for today's show. You can get the show notes later today at MyFaithRadio.com. Or if you subscribe to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast, then wherever you subscribe to your podcast, when that podcast populates today, the show notes will be there in the description. So that's sort of the the fancy way it all works. Um, we're talking with Daniel Bennett. We're talking across a number of headlines this morning related to the intersection of our life as uh, you know political animals and our Christian faith. Who are we and how do we operate? So again, I'm going to ask you, did you attend uh, a worship service or some other um church opportunity this weekend, some other service that your church offered? Do you do so regularly? Are you a member? I think that is um, part of the of the question underlying this, Daniel, as well. This is a conversation about people who identify as members of local churches. It's not just religious participation. Do I have that right? Yeah, and that becomes a little tricky, too, uh, because there are studies that have shown that religious membership has declined over the last several decades uh, but then there's a question of, well, does that mean people are actually attending less or just identifying as members less? Large mm-hmm. churches maybe don't prioritize membership as they once did. And so are we getting the accurate count? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge question as well. Um, and and just circling back to the social science question, um, you know, if you do grow up in a house divided, um, there's a chance that you only have the opportunity to attend 50% of the time because you are at the other parent's home on the alternate weekend. Mm. And so mm. I just think that there are just so many. And then do we design children and youth programming um, a- around the expectation that children are going to be there every single week? Or do we design it around the expectation that more than 50% of the kids in America could actually only be there every other week? Like, <laughs> do we even do that? Like, I just think that there, I think there are just so many things that we don't think about if we are in, um, it may a traditional uh, marriage, um, and we don't necessarily think about all the kids growing up in um, in environments that are different than that. So I just, 
I was sensitive. I was sensitive to um, lots of the uh, realities, the social realities that I think are just below the surface of this study, and so I, I just appreciated yeah. um, the opportunity it, to talk about it. It's a short piece, but there's a lot to dig into with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In, in addition to you know who's going to college and um, and the decline in college participation rates as well. There's just a lot there. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Daniel Bennett here in just a moment. Um, Here's the next question. Do we, as the United States of America, do we care more about religious freedom around the world than we do at home? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio's social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. King of kings yet born of Mary As of old on earth he stood We're talking with Dr. Daniel Bennett. He teaches at John Brown University. He also um, has a sub-stack. It's called Uneasy Citizenship. Um, Daniel, let's look together at this um, piece by Grace Melton and Simon Hankinson. The title is, The U.S. Cares About Religious Freedom Abroad, But Not at Home. Um, so that's really the question. Like, do we care more about it abroad than we do at home? Um, what are their findings? So this is a particularly, I would say, attention-grabbing headline, because for your listeners, you might think, well, it should be the opposite, right? I mean, the average American certainly cares a lot more about domestic policy and what's happening here at home than what's going on abroad. Uh, when you dig into this article, and it's uh, written by two folks at the Conservative Heritage Foundation who are critiquing the government's treatment of religion here in the United States relative to abroad. And so what they're doing is they're saying, look, the State Department uh, has a pretty robust uh watch list and, uh, you know, tracking of uh, countries uh, who violate something called the International Religious Freedom Act. Um, And we, of course, have these offices involving uh, promoting religious freedom internationally. Uh, But the article points out, you know, here at home, there are instances of the federal government uh, trying to Uh, essentially compel people to violate their own religious beliefs. And and what they're doing is they're citing recent Supreme Court cases or ongoing Supreme Court cases in which the government is siding with actors who are, by, you know, at least one interpretation, uh, not respecting the religious beliefs of people. Most recently, this was the 303 creative case involving the website designer. So it is an interesting question, right? The federal government will say, well, look, there's all these countries around the world who are violating the religious freedom protections of their citizens. 
Uh, but these two authors say, well, hold on a second. Let's look in the mirror and see how we're doing things here at home. So um, as I was thinking about this, we have, uh, as the United States of America, um, since the late 90s, a, an ambassador at large for international religious freedom, um, like Bob Seipel. I mean, we, you and I probably both know his son, Chris. Um, uh, Rabbi uh, David Saperstein, certainly a high-profile um, ambassador uh, for the United States um, in terms of this position. Frank Wolf comes to mind. Um, Sa- Sam Brownback. I mean, there aren't going to be names that listeners are going to absolutely recognize in terms of global efforts um, on this topic. And and we talk um, with some frequency about the reports that are issued about religious liberty around the world. Um, we don't we don't look as closely at ourselves as we do at others. I, and this is probably not the only area of. Um, of life where that is true. Oh, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, even in, even in international politics, we see this, uh, usually, you know, whenever the United States makes a statement about human rights abuses in China, for example, the, the, a Chinese spokesperson will often say, well, you know, given the United States's history with, with slavery and it's, uh, rel- re- until recently relatively permissive abortion laws, you know, are they really the right country to be critiquing us at this point? So kind of like, a again, look at yourself in the mirror here. I think a better explanation for, for what's happening is that there are just different definitions of what constitutes religious freedom. So when we look at, say, persecution of Uyghur Muslims uh, in China or uh, the persecution of uh, Muslims in Myanmar at the hands of the Buddhist majority, you know, almost anyone would look at that and say, well, that's clearly a violation of people's religious freedom. They're being physically and actively persecuted to the point of relocation and even death in some cases. Um, here at home, we don't see that. We don't have that here at home. What we do have are more contested questions about what are the limits and reach of religious freedom. Because obviously there are limits here, here at home, right? You can't, if you're a fundamentalist Latter-day Saint, you can't you know, simply marry a 13-year-old and say, well, this is part of my religious beliefs. Um, And so a lot of these questions that we're seeing legally are doing with what they're doing, they're drawing these lines. And it's not as explicit as we're going to gather this one group at gunpoint and move them around to a different part of the country. It's a lot more contested, and it's a lot more, I think, nuanced. Now, that doesn't mean these claims from the website designers and the florists are any less uh, important but they're very different uh, relative to the international square. Yeah, no question about it. I, I think that um, we, are, we are less likely to look at occasions where people whose faith differs from ours um, experience some kind of um, bias against mm. them here in the United States of America. And because because it is based on a system and the way the system works and the way the system advantages one particular religious group. And I'm being very careful how I say this because I know that the ire of those listening is going to be raised by the suggestion that if you're a Christian, there's actually a lot of, of um, uh, things that are just easier. They just, they just, and, and even though I think that evangelical Christians are experiencing um, a rise in resentment 
in the culture. It does not rise oh, yeah. to the level of what I would call persecution, except when it does. And then I think that those stories um, fail to get coverage in the mainstream media, and that just raises the ire of evangelicals even more. Well, I mean, I just think that, right, there's there's something afoot. There's yeah. something going on, not only around the world, but right here in the United States. And 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 again, back to that question of animus. I don't know yeah. that it's necessarily like people thinking through it and, um, you know, some people are, but, you know, like, great. By and large, sure. I don't think that there's some giant conspiracy against Christians in the United States. But there are times that you do feel the rub. And so, I don't know. It's it's probably all of a well, um, of, of a contemporary reality that's just hard to describe. Well, this is part of what I write, I'm writing about in my, my book that's coming out next year. This idea that there are actual challenges for Christians, right? This isn't a question of, or this isn't a situation where, you know, we... Christians are complaining of, of uh, persecution in the United States or otherwise maybe cultural resentment. And then the flip side to that is saying, oh, you guys just seem to buck up. It's not as bad here as it is in other places in the world. But there are real challenges for people's economic livelihoods um, and whatnot. But at the same time, like we have so many opportunities in the United States <clears throat> in terms of, I, I mean, we talk about this with my kids pretty regularly, especially on a Sunday morning where they're not, you know, hundred percent invested in getting out the door for church, but say, look, there are places in the world where you run a serious risk of just having a Bible in your home mm-hmm. where, you know, you, you can't just go to church on a Sunday morning and meet openly with, you know, and, and not look over your shoulder um, th- for, because of the threat of persecution. What a blessing that is to live in a country that's, you, that, that is so, uh, open to the, the, these religious uh, communities. Now, that doesn't discount the, the actual challenges that are taking place these days, whether it's through cultural, you know, obviously we're not seeing maybe the, the arm of the state coming down, but there are cultural consequences to being a Christian today relative to, say, 30 or 40 years ago, um, especially yeah. if you work in certain, certain industries. So trying to find that balance, I think, is really important. And maybe um, as Christians, it would help us if we if we used language like people of faith instead of just always advocating for our own brand or our own brand of Christianity or Christianity in general. If we started talking about the challenges that people of minority faith experience in the culture, recognizing that increasingly we are people of minority faith in the culture, um, it wins us more friends, and it I think highlights um, the reality of of a growing trend in the culture. Um, and so maybe part of this is learning to speak of ourselves as as we speak of um, those around the world who face similar challenges. Daniel, we, we are out of time. I know that doesn't surprise you, but it's, it's always a delight um, to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us um, throughout 2022, and we'll talk with you again in 2023. Merry Christmas, Carmen. Merry Christmas. That's Daniel Bennett. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Just trust me. Just trust me. Are you trusting the Lord today? Reflecting on the way that Mary trusted the Lord. Let's be trusting the Lord with ourselves and our futures as well. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.